previously on Madman. Uh, the shower facilities were inadequate. There was trash everywhere. The the porta potties overflowed, so there was just like sewage everywhere. American cars are now almost as big as the tanks that won World War II. Oh, I did not know that. God. Wow. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. That's really cool. That's awful. It may be a lot harder to get bacon in California, or it will end up being more expensive. Brazilian rapper named MC Kevin, he fell to his death uh, after jumping off a hotel balcony. But he wasn't like suicidal. He was basically just finished having a threesome. MC Kevin. Maybe you should have picked a better name, too. People of Earth. How are you? Fire! 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 <laughs> if I see you reach for a weapon, I'm calling it off. Killing spree. Do what you say. Consequences will never be the same. Broadcasting live. Two tape across the nation and the world from the Lorena Bobbitt Theater in the city that always sleeps and still looks like hell in the morning, beautiful North Seattle. It's the podcast for a world gone mad. This is The Society Show. And now, your host, a man who renders unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Christian Patterson. Hello, this is the Society Show. Do you believe in society's lies? My name is Christian. I am your host. I will not sound that chipper for the rest of the episode, but I wanted to come in hot like a, you know, a real old fashioned type of tv host hello world hello i am christian and this is the society show society. so we're gonna have a pretty laid-back episode it's just me it's a solo episode i'm mr solo dolo and uh we'll get into it but first 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 this episode is brought to you by mastercard there are some things money can't buy for everything else there's mastercard more living less limits mastercard Helping you find profits in new places. Relax, you've got MasterCard. Thank you for sponsoring the show, MasterCard. I wanted to let you all know that as of now, I will be planning that uh, the Society Show is going to start streaming on Twitch. Now, I'm not exactly sure when that'll happen, but if I had to guess, it would be um, 
sometime at the end of September. So it's still maybe a month or two now. But uh, I wanted to say that this show will not be affected by it. I'll still do one uh, podcast a week. And then I'll try to have a supplementary stream that would probably be once a week. Right now I'm thinking uh, Mondays in the early afternoon, something like that. And uh, also, just so you know, the show does have a Patreon. Uh, It does not have any supporters. I'm not pushing it very hard or anything. But if you'd like to support it or just learn more about the show, you can go to societyshow.net. So thank you for letting me plug at the beginning. And, uh, yeah, so later on, I'm going to do a blast from the past. Brendan Fraser, Alicia Silverstone, Christopher Walken, and Sissy Spacek. Blast from the past. That's where I talk about something from the recent past, generally, and kind of refresh people's minds about it. I'm going to be talking about the attorney, Jack Thompson, who is most popular for kind of his uh, highly litigious and um, puritanical approach to American media. He particularly targeted video games, but he's just a a dubious figure in general. We're going to go into that. He was kind of all over in the mid-2000s. You heard about him a lot. Oh, okay. I also have a short state of the state. State of the state planned. State of the state. And if you're unfamiliar, that's when I talk a little more on the conceptual side. Like, I get into um, how I think, you know, how I see the world. What, What am I seeing lying underneath the surface, you know? We get a little more heady, so that'll be at the end. So, before we get to that, I do have some news. Facts don't care about your feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. These are facts. This first piece of news, uh, as you may have heard, at least if you live in the U.S., the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, resigned over the sexual harassment. Wow. Uh, I don't know if you're following that to begin with, but yes, it is very well documented that he makes bizarre passes at women um, and... Kisses on them, touches them, does stuff like that. He seems like a genuine kind of pervy dude. And his defense, of course, was uh, basically... I kiss my brother, I kiss my father, I kiss my mother, I am an Italian, American, New Yorker, and I just kiss people, okay? What are you gonna do about it, punk? <laughs> that was basically his defense. Another piece of news, uh, the Evil Knievel Museum is reportedly leaving its current location in Topeka and moving to Las Vegas. So, you know, I'm getting to be a better reporter nowadays. I'm going straight to the source and getting a quote. But they told me, yeah, we have not been getting many visitors because 
no one knows where the Evil Knievel Museum is. And the reason why they don't know where it is is because they don't know where Topeka, Kansas is. And to uh, close off this news segment, uh, I have three stories that I'm going to go into a little deeper than those. The first one, well, I'll say all three of these kind of reflect changes in our society. society. The other two seem to be more related to COVID. I'm not exactly sure what this says about society yet, but uh, according to official accounts, the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally is the busiest it has been in years. Now, there's probably a few factors for this. I imagine some people didn't go last year. And maybe some people had never gone and they were like, Man, COVID has me down. I can't go anywhere, man. What am I going to do? Everything's canceled. And then the next summer, they're like, Okay, let's do something. But then again, Sturgis wasn't canceled last year, infamously. It was a super spreader event. But, uh, that, again, I guess it all begs the question, why are so many people going to Sturgis? And I think, on top of the potential explanations I gave, is I do think Sturgis has always been a very conservative event, or at least very um, open to and did not object from potentially far-right elements being like n deeply integrated into it. I'm not someone who wants to, you know, demonize rural Americans and motorcyclists and be like, yeah, they're all just conservative dummies. <laughs> But at the same time, like, a lot of them are absolutely conservative. But I think we saw a shift during Donald Trump's presidency uh, with, you know, he kind of did some events in, like, South Dakota or North Dakota. He did his 4th of July thing at Mount Rushmore. And also the MyPillow guy is starting to do, uh, he did his big like election audit conference or wh whatever that crap is. He did that in North or South Dakota. So I think there's a lot of conservative attention being brought upon to these states. And I think with last year's Sturgis, where it was, you know, such a super spreader event, I think it's gaining more and more of a reputation as a conservative thing to do. If you're conservative, go to Sturgis. You know, like, I feel like going on a trip to either of the Dakotas, if you're not Native American, is one of the most conservative things you could do. Like, you know, I, I mean, I would like to see Deadwood... Uh, someday, but I also imagine 90 plus percent of tourists who go to Deadwood are probably conservative, right? Like, I mean, I don't want to stereotype, but I just feel like that part of the country is turning into a conservative focal point. Now, this next story is kind of confusing. It 
it seems most likely connected to COVID, but it's not really clear why. I can't really, I couldn't really tell you why. But uh, so headline, this is from AP News. Census experts puzzled by high rate of unanswered questions. That is right. For an abnormally high amount of people did not fill in their census entirely. So this says, quote, residents did not respond to a multiple multitude of questions about sex, race, Hispanic background, family relationships, and age, even when providing account of the number of people living in the home. So that means a lot of people just wrote how many people lived there and did not include any other details or might have just answered some. You're probably thinking that that happens every time there's the census. And there is some of that, but let me read on in the article. Quote, reflecting an early stage in the number crunching, the documents show that 10% to 20% of questions were not answered in the 2020 census. But here's, here's the real cherry on top, I guess, the part that makes it very bizarre. Quote, the rates have averaged 1% to 3% in 170 years of previous U.S. censuses. So, in other words, there's about potentially... uh, Potentially 20 times more unanswered questions on the 2020 census than... all the censuses of the past 170 years combined. So the explanations they give, although I feel like they don't truly answer the question, is in this article they suggest that this is the first time the census, uh, or the first time most Americans took did the census online. And because of that, you were allowed to skip questions. And so the combination of doing it online and just being like having a skip question button meant less people did it. Another explanation they offer is because of COVID, it made it harder to reach people who did not respond to the census. And finally, they basically attribute a lot of it to Trump as well, um, basically saying that Trump wanted to put the citizenship question on the census, and since that was struck down, that maybe a lot of people were skeptical of the census or did not want to participate because it did not go Trump's way. Either way, this is extremely bizarre, and I'm not really sure how they'll be able to fill in the gaps because, again, this is like 10 to 20 times more gaps within the census than there has any other point in history in the U.S. I mean, when they said in the past 170 years, I'm assuming that's when the census, or at least a census as we know it now, our current system, started. And our last story of this news news segment 
Uh, also from AP headline, pandemic set off deadly rise in speeding that hasn't stopped. This article is about an increase in accidents because people started speeding more during the pandemic and they're still consistently driving at speeds like that. It says, quote, the latest data shows the number of highway deaths in 2020 was the greatest in more than a decade, even though cars and trucks drove fewer miles during the pandemic. It says, quote, traffic data indicates the higher death toll was related to higher average speeds in conjunction with more of those on the roads driving under the influence of drugs and alcohol and a slight decline in seatbelt use. This says, uh, this article says, quote, Tickets issued by the California Highway Patrol for speeding in excess of 100 miles per hour from January to June were nearly double pre-pandemic levels. They also say, in New York State, the percentage of fatalities for which speeding was the primary cause and the total number of speeding tickets grew from January through June compared to the year before the pandemic. And I also want to mention a couple episodes ago, the one that I had with Connor, you can go back and listen to that, I brought up the fact that deaths of uh, pedestrians and cyclists are on the rise in the U.S., and a lot of that is also attributed to uh, speed and well, speed for one thing, but at the in that discussion, we were mostly talking about how much larger trucks are now, because that is a very attributing factor, too. And also the fact we talked about how, you know, everyone knows the scenario where you're driving down the freeway and there's a freaking 2021 Dodge Ram right on your ass just right on your ass like that always happens facts don't care about your feelings facts don't care about your feelings these are facts and that's that for the news so next is the blast from the past segment Brendan Fraser, Alicia Silverstone, Christopher Walken, and Sissy Spacek. Blast from the past. This is a blast from the past from primarily the mid-2000s or so. Today I will be talking about the disbarred attorney, now disbarred, uh, Jack Thompson. If you're not familiar with him, uh, he was kind of a big deal in the 2000s. Video games were a hugely hot-button issue, political issue, in the 2000s in a way they were not now. Now, I feel like it's more about how like all kids do all day is play on their tablets and, and kind of the blurry morality that comes with loot boxes that are basically gambling. That's the type of gaming political controversies that I see nowadays, but back then there was way more of this kind of 
similar to the anti-comic book movement in the 30s or whatever, whenever there was kind of like a more puritanical wave against comics and also movies, um, a very similar thing was happening against video games at this time, and Jack Thompson was spearheading this. So I'm going to get into a little bit into uh, what he's done. I'm not going to go super in-depth, but... One place I want to start is in the late 80s, before he was really famous at all, he uh, got in a long and big feud with a some type of talk show radio personality in Florida. Uh, I believe that he was kind of a shock jock to some extent. Or maybe morning zoo is a more appropriate term, but uh, it was, you know, along those types of lines. The guy, it was the Neil Rogers show, hosted by Neil Rogers. And, yeah, before he was famous, Jack Thompson actually got in a big feud with them because he tried to, uh, he persuaded the FCC to find the radio station $10,000 for airing parody songs um, one example they gave is called Boys Want Sex in the Morning, uh, which, okay. Thompson uh, sued the station again uh, because after he persuaded the SEC to find them, they would constantly talk about them and basically became a villain of their show. You know, if you ever listened to Howard Stern back in the day, this was a big part of kind of shock jock radio, was creating villains that are trying to tear down the show and making them a huge focal point of the show. I mean, you still see this all the time with like, oh, I'm being canceled, oh, support me because I'm being canceled. It's the same type of thing. But uh, Jack Thompson actually tried to sue the radio station again, um, saying that they agreed to pay him $5,000 every time they mentioned his name, which I don't think that's true because he never got a cent as far as I know. Um, but according to him, they mentioned his name 40,000 times meaning that they owed him $200 million. And, you know, in his broader career, that's kind of a trivial detail of what he ended up doing, but it ties heavily into how he got involved in the, in the political and public sphere. So, in 1988, he ran for prosecutor in Dade County, or Miami-Dade County, where Miami is, um, against Janet Reno, who you are probably familiar with. She was uh, the Attorney General for, for Bill Clinton from 93 to 2001. She was the first woman to serve as Attorney General. Uh, and she had the job for quite a long time. And... I only say this, I don't like talking about people's looks, but it does tie into uh, what I'm, what else I'm about to say. Janet Reno, if you've never seen her, she's a very, very homely woman. And, uh, yeah, so, 
Jack Thompson, he runs against her, and the explicit reason why is because she declined his request to prosecute Neil Rogers. So he got into political life to spite this radio show host. And so here's why I mentioned that she's really homely. Uh, Thompson gave Reno a letter at a campaign event um, that basically had check boxes that said, "Are you are you homosexual, bisexual, or heterosexual?" Insinuating that because she's really homely and not at all conventionally attractive, that uh, she was a lesbian. And that might be true. I don't actually know, but I believe she is attracted to men. Um, not like it really matters, but um, she never really got married, though. So who knows? Um, but Janet Reno, you know, tapped Jack Thompson on the shoulder and basically said... Uh, Allegedly, quote, I'm only interested in virile men. That's why I'm not attracted to you. And in response to this, Jack Thompson filed a police report accusing her of battery for touching him. A special prosecutor rejected the charge, saying it was a political ploy, obviously. And Janet Reno was re-elected with 70% of the vote, so... Jack Thompson never let go of this grudge. She was constantly trying to smear Janet Reno as a lesbian when she was being nominated to and becoming the Attorney General. I'm not gay no more. I am delivered. I don't like men no more. I thought I like women. Women, 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 women. From there, uh, Jack Thompson, you know, it's clear he was very litigious. From there, he went on to target rap music, uh, particularly Two Live Crew. Uh, you know, you're in straight out of Compton, NWA. You're really starting to get the impression that he is pretty puritanical. You know, yeah, he targeted a lot of uh, a lot of music and. He was actually, in 1992, hired by the Freedom Alliance, a patriot, so-called patriot group founded by Oliver North, which, as you imagine, is extremely far-right. And he basically used this position to harass Time Warner about the Ice-T song Cop Killer. did a lot of things to target music. He uh, also even complained about a racy Madonna music video. Uh, he just, in general, is a Puritan. And from there, he really hit the main part of his career, the main time, where he was targeting video games left and right. My life is like a video game, trying hard to beat the stage, all while I am still collecting coins. Trying hard to save the girl, obstacles, I'm jumping hurdles, I'm growing up to be a big boy. Some of the main games he targeted were by Rockstar Games, he targeted Bully, 
in Manhunt. He uh, targeted Mortal Kombat. Um, and he's probably most known for targeting Grand Theft Auto. And none of these even really went anywhere. And two, Take-Two, who publishes Grand Theft Auto, started lob- lobbying uh, lawsuits against him, basically saying that he was being reckless with the legal system and costing them a bunch of money, which he was. And, I mean, I could go into some more of the specifics, but just keep in mind, he was after video games all throughout the 2000s. He also, around the same time, went after Howard Stern because Howard Stern would swear on the air. Um, But here's a pretty uh, interesting thing that he said that I really feel like exemplifies his zealotry. Quote, The Bible doesn't promote killing innocent people. Grand Theft Auto does. Islam does. Islam promotes the killing of innocent people. The Quran requires the infidel, whether Jew or Christian, to be killed. That's the core essence of the religion. So it really seems like, you know, his puritanical uh, social, social criticisms are kind of infused with the ideology of the time, the anti-Islam war on terror type mentality and you realize that that is really what is animating this whole thing in his mind he has conflated all of the pop culture he doesn't like or sees as too violent or sexual as being one in the same with islam but ultimately uh jack thompson was disbarred from the legal services doing any sort of legal stuff because he would frequently smear people in a terrible way. A lot of it is very false, defamatory. For example, he accused a man of distributing child porn. And and it wasn't just any man. it It was a judge in Alabama. And he started saying, you know, just a lot of really bad smears about people with too much power. And he ended up getting fined a bunch, ended up getting permanently disbarred. And uh, since then, I mean, he, he said that he's teaching civic classes in the Florida prison system. That's like the last update, and that was from 2016, but he's just kind of quietly left public life, and but he was, I would describe him as a professional legal pest that wreaked havoc throughout the 90s and 2000s, and uh, that's our blast from the past. Hope you uh, learned a little bit about society from that. Alicia Silverstone, Christopher Walken, and Sissy Spacek. Blast from the past. All right, I hope you enjoyed the blast from the past. And now it's time for the state of the state. State of the state. In this segment, I want to talk about what class is. Like, what actually is class? Because I I see people bickering online about who's in what class all the time and 
the the thing that sparked this is I saw someone basically being like, professors are part of the working class. Like, they make a wage. A lot of them don't make very much money. And then someone else was kind of like, uh, oh, how could you say that? Blah, blah, blah. That's the stupidest thing. This, that's why everyone hates the left. Uh, that's what... And they were going into, like, how professors... Uh, create a lot of the propaganda that uphold, you know, imperialism. And that is absolutely true. But here's the thing. Both of those things are true. And that's because class exists in more than one way. So, and I'm not even talking about, like, you know, there's the whole working class, middle class, upper class, and then there's Marxist classes like proletariat and bourgeoisie. I'm not even talking about those. I'm talking about within a Marxist framework, there is, there's multiple classes, the thing is, a lot of people who don't know much about Marx at all, like, I'll say I, I see this criticism from so-called anarchists a lot, so they'll be like, Marx's view of class is way oversimplified. You can't reduce it down to proletariat and bourgeoisie. There's so much more to it than that. But the thing is, if you read Marx, like, honestly, he addresses all of that. He accounts for all of that. And in his more historical writing, he actually spends most of the time basically dissecting uh, all of the classes, many different classes within society, subclasses, like different types of capitalists, different types of working class people. So there are a lot of classes from a Marxist perspective, but that's not even what I'm talking about either. Class exists in the material form. Like, I am working class because I work for a wage. It's not, it's not a ton of money. It's okay money. Um, but then again, like, if you ask someone who was, like, middle class, they'd be like, oh, he makes nothing. Like, absolutely nothing. I couldn't live off that. But I feel like I make a decent wage. That's besides the point, though. And then, of course, there's the capitalist class who, you know, owns the means of production. Th that is simple enough, but, big but there. The thing is, class is a social force that's always being exerted on you. And you don't need a capitalist there to exert that force on you. The structure itself has a class dynamic. It has systems to reinforce that class dynamic. Because straight up, like, most of the people you have... Say you've been disciplined at work or got in trouble in some way. Unless you worked for a really small business, for most of you, you would not be being punished by the capitalists you would be punished by another proletariat who has gotten enough you know a high enough wage enough benefits or this or that from the capitalist class that they feel comfortable in doing their bidding 
Like, you can't convince a minimum wage worker at McDonald's to do corporate McDonald's' bidding. They'd be like, you don't pay me enough for that. Why would I do that? But you can convince a middle manager who gets a, a lot of vacation time, has sweet insurance, you can convince them to do the bidding of the capitalist class. That doesn't make them a capitalist. And at the same time, you might be like, ostensibly, lawyers are part of the dominant class. They're not necessarily capitalists. They don't necessarily own their own company. But as a whole, lawyers are typically rich, typically have power, and a lot of them own businesses. But a lot of them aren't. There are working class lawyers. That doesn't mean when those working class lawyers actually do their work, you know, a lot of them might be um, punishing people by the, the code of the capitalist state. That doesn't mean they aren't working class anymore. People are members of a class. They're not even members. People are of a class. But that doesn't mean that much because we don't even interact with the capitalist class. The capitalist class creates the structures so the system reinforces itself. That doesn't mean that some lawyer is not working class. It just means they're reinforcing the capitalist social forces of class. Yes, the capitalist social forces of class. That doesn't mean that a non-tenured, you know, just run-of-the-mill professor at a state college, that doesn't mean they are not working class. Might they be into some like shit like maybe they're like Keynesian economists even not even like neoliberals but more like old school Keynesians you know they reinforce capitalism right like I guess some people think of being Keynesian is akin to being socialist nowadays but uh, in my opinion, Keynesianism is a much better way at making workers happy than neoliberalism. So it, in a way, you're trying to protect, protect capitalism. There are people who protect capitalism all the time at their jobs because it's embedded into their jobs. For example, say you work at a homeless shelter or something like that. Most people who go into, like, social work working with mentally ill and homeless people have progressive economic views. They would like the people to live better lives, right? They, you know, there's sympathy there. But that doesn't mean they aren't reinforcing a capitalist system. Those people are in a shelter to preserve the capitalist system. Now, that doesn't mean the jobs aren't necessary, of course. Like, we need passionate people to do that type of work as things exist now. A better system, of course, would be that everyone was um, housed and didn't have the economic issues that, you know, ha 
have them have such terrible lives, maybe turn to crime out of necessity. Who knows? Like, the people working at that homeless shelter would probably agree with all of that. But that doesn't mean that they aren't reinforcing capitalist structures. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's what you have to do to have um, vulnerable people safe. You have to work within the capitalist structure. And working within it is reinforcing it. So this idea that someone cannot be working class because they reinforce capitalism it is really backwards. It's a very one-dimensional way of looking at class. I would say the only exception to this is cops, really, because they are workers. They do work, but their only job is to directly, physically with force, reinforce the most um, oppressive parts of the capitalist order. Someone working at a homeless shelter, someone who is a professor, they might ideologically um, work within, um, or the professor might ideologically support capitalism, but they don't have much reach. The, the homeless shelter worker might... Um, it, um, unbe unbeknownst to them be reinforcing capitalism, but they don't have a choice. That's the only way to help people. Cops are different than that. They reinforce capitalism as directly and violently as any institution could. That is what they're they there for. So, like... When, when I talk about there's class that you are as a person and there's class as a social force, cops are uni solely focused, singularly focused on violently reinforcing class. And that's why they could never be working class. They are workers but they are not of this class they are traitors to their working class by working for the capitalist power and with that i suppose it's a good time to wrap up this show thank you for listening to the society show my name is Christian. You can follow me on Twitter at Christian is cool. Is is spelled I-Z, so that's Christian I-Z cool. You can follow the show on Twitter at society underscore show. You can uh, contact the show by calling the number. You can email the show if you want any email read on air or any voicemail played on air. All of that information is on societyshow.net as well as the Patreon and links to uh, anything about the show really and with that thank you for listening to the Society Show
Gosh, what a fun weekend I'm having. Hey, if you're one of those people attacking veterans on the internet for lamenting the fall of Afghanistan, you're a bad person. I don't much care for your half-formed thoughts about American imperialism as you attack the very people that end-stage capitalism forced into the military. Why don't you go look up how they recruit, huh? Really don't love how you all keep ignoring all the horrific things the Taliban has done throughout history in your scramble to criticize the U.S. or the 41 other countries that are part of the International Security Assistance Force, which was in Afghanistan. Frankly, I don't think you care at all about the people of Afghanistan. You just want to yell at people on the internet and take a huge problem and make it small so that you can attack me instead of, you know, doing the internal work of realizing that international conflict is messy and complicated and often has good and bad parts. But like, what would I know? I was only a part of it. And no, I don't feel bad for going. I was a medic. And nothing you can say will change my opinion of the things that I did and experienced there. I helped the people of Afghanistan. Have you?